Thank you. Thank you very much, Joyce. Let's look to God in prayer. Thank you, O Lord, for this opportunity to gather together in this way. And now as we open your word, we pray that your spirit would be among us and help us to be sensitive and open to the revelations and the nudgings of your spirit as we have gathered together and as we share together in this way. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Let me remind you once again that the message notes are here in the center part of the bulletin. If you uh, want to fill in the blanks, the answers will be on the screen. Or if you just want to take, uh, take notes uh, of your own, uh, there's space for you to do that also. This morning we're continuing the study on the Beatitudes. The uh, particular Beatitude is, uh, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, the one that we will be looking at this morning. And the title of my sermon is Sterling Motives. Now, we don't use the word sterling. Sometimes we hear the term sterling silver. And so the word sterling means pure and unadulterated means only one substance. When it is completely pure and no extraneous, no other substances are present so that it is completely pure. We call that sterling. No other alloy, no other metals, uh, particularly it's used in terms relating to, to metals. But here I'm calling it sterling motives. In other words, no other factors are where our motives are completely pure. And I'll say more about that in the midst of my sermon this morning. And so Jesus is teaching on the mountainside that we have recorded in, in Matthew chapter 5. And Jesus says, blessed are the, are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And with that, we immediately think of our own, of our own hearts and our own minds, and we can think of how impure and how defiled they are. And along with Martin Luther, we, despise, we despair of ever living up to what Jesus is suggesting here and what Jesus is proclaiming. And so this beatitude becomes a curse in disguise because we say we will never live up to what Jesus is asking us to become. But the biblical scholar, Jeremiah, suggests, however, that in the Sermon on the Mount, the gospel always, become, always comes before the demands of the law. The gospel and the grace comes before. And so our purity of heart comes to us as a gift, a gift of grace from God. And being pure in heart may imply the, the change of heart that takes place as we give our hearts and lives to our Lord Jesus Christ in the act of conversion. When we are changed, when we are transformed, as we give our hearts and lives, then Jesus makes us pure in heart. And so, in this beatitude, 
we receive a reward for who we are and not, and not for what we do. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart for who we are, not for what we do. Being, and also then, being pure in heart and seeing God go hand in hand. Jesus says that the pure in heart will see God. Or in other words, as I will discuss later in my sermon, the pure in heart will see the work of God, will see the evidence of God in their lives as, as they experience their own purity. So what does Jesus mean by this statement? Some might say, or some might think, that it means that we clean up our own lives so that, and Jesus talked about removing the speck out of my brother's eye, getting the log out of my own eye. Is that what Jesus is talking about here, that we get the log out of our own eye before we remove the speck out of the others? Could Jesus mean that our eyes need to be in focus with one single purpose, with one aim and one desire. I also want to give credit to Don Augsburger and his book, Pattern for Living, which I have used as a resource for my sermon this morning. And this beatitude is a type of watershed. The first three beatitudes were those dealing with our deep needs, the poor in spirit, those who mourn, and also the meek. And then we have the satisfaction of those needs that are being met. The famous Methodist missionary and author E. Stanley Jones says, quote, in the, ver in the first three Beatitudes, we're going up one side of the mountain. We reach the summit of the, of the mountain in the Beatitude, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And then we come down the mountain on the other side. Jesus certainly was aware of the Psalms. The scriptures, their scriptures, the Old Testament. And so Jesus may have had Psalm 24, verses 3 to 6 in mind as he taught. And look at, we'll look at this passage of scripture. The psalmist asks, Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? And then the psalmist answers, only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and never tell lies. They will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God, their Savior. Such people may seek you and worship in your presence, O God of Jacob. The psalmist here does not focus on clean or on dirty thoughts, but the psalmist focuses on ethical behavior, clean hands, or a lack of cunning, 
a lack of deceit, not telling lies, those will be able to stand with integrity in the presence of our God and experience God. So purity of heart is living with complete honesty, with openness, and without deceit in our relationship to our Lord and also in our relationship to others. Who can stand before God? It's those who have clean hands and those who have a pure heart. The religious people in Jesus' day, namely the Pharisees, placed great stress on cleaning the outside, on ritual purity. But Jesus, in this teaching, places stress on the inner cleansing. And as we look at this, this beatitude, let's look then at some persons as to how they paraphrase this particular one to get, help us to get an understanding of what this means. J.B. Phillips says, Happy are the utterly sincere, for they will see God. And then Eugene Peterson in the message puts this paragraph, puts this beatitude this way. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. Therefore, this beatitude refers to purity of intention and purpose, to have one aim and one focus, to be one thing, both inwardly and outwardly, one aim and one focus. James, in his letter, James, the brother of Jesus, in his letter, talks about double-minded people and encourages them to purify their hearts and become one person, both inwardly and outwardly. James is referring to persons who are wavering, and he encourages them to be one person. So purity, as these translators define it, means to have one focus, to have a singleness of purpose in living one's life. And it's not purity in the moral sense. Going, what I, going back to what I was talking about in my introduction and referring to the word sterling, when a metal such as silver is, or gold must be purified, the metal then is heated and the extraneous metal is siphoned off so that only the pure gold or only the pure silver is left. The metals may be valuable in themselves, but as long as they are intermixed with the gold or with the silver, as long as other metals are mixed in there with them, they are not as valuable and we cannot say that they are pure. And so the teaching of Jesus becomes pure or becomes clear. When we allow God 
to take away the dross, or to take away, a word that we would use today would, would be to take away the waste, then our lives become pure in the eyes of God. And James cautions us that we should not have a divided loyalty. James 1.8, their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and he says, they are unstable in everything they do. Later in the book of Matthew, in this gospel, Jesus talks about people who are attempting to serve two masters. And Jesus says clearly in Matthew 7.21, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Therefore, Jesus is calling for his disciples to have unmixed motives, not mixed motives, to have sterling and pure motives and to seek only, to seek only God's will. Sterling motives, only God's will, only to give honor and glory to God. And as we participate and as we do our religious exercises and do what God is calling us to do and follow in the ways of the rhythm of discipleship, it is hard to have pure motives. In one of the congregations where I served as, as pastor for a number of years, we had the time of the Mennonite Central Committee meat canner would come annually to the farm of one of the members of the congregation. And the church members and also the entire surrounding community would come together to can meat for relief for several days of, for worldwide relief that Mennonite Central Committee then would send to the needy people in the world. And I recall one of the church members who was interviewed by the local media and to publicize what, was what we were doing and ex explain and expound upon the good work and the effort efforts that we were making. And one of the members then confided that she, were, that she was afraid that her motives were not completely pure and that she may have been helping in this project for recognition that came to her, especially now that she was interviewed by the local newspaper or TV. Being completely pure in motivation. Soren Kierkegaard, the great German theologian, shared the famous phrase, purity of heart is to will one thing, to will one thing. The Pharisees, the religious leaders at those, at those days, were always trying to reduce righteousness to a matter of conduct, to ethics, and to right behavior. But Jesus here is placing the emphasis of the heart, the center of, of, our, of our personhood. 
one of the fallacies that we can have is to think that our problems are due to our environment. And one view is if we change the environment, then we will change the person. But the question remains, will a perfect environment produce a sinless person? And the perfect environment supposition does not consider the fact that it was in such a perfect environment, such an idyllic setting, that our first parents, Adam and Eve, experienced sin in the midst of the garden and succumbed to evil. Jesus is saying in this beatitude that purity of heart is being single-minded of purpose. It means without folds, it's open, and nothing has nothing to hide. There was a revival that swept through Wales some years ago, and a person traveled from London to, to Wales to take part in the revival services. So he got out at a country station, uh, a bus or train station in Wales, and he asked a policeman who was standing in the corner, he asked him, where is the Welsh revival? And the policeman drew himself up to his full height and stature and patted his chest and said, the Welsh revival, sir, is under these buttons. The psalmist captures this thought in Psalm 86.1 where the psalmist says, Give me an undivided heart that I may revere your name. In contrast, the hypocrite, the person who has a divided heart, is, does not have one aim, and, but instead has one heart for the inside and another for the outside. We too are troubled with hearts of divided loyalties. And part of us wants to know God and to serve God, but the other part of us desires to stay with the world. Clarence Jordan suggests that when persons attempt to live a life in this way, a double life, they are not blessed. They are, he says, spiritually anything but blessed. Their conflicting loyalties make them wretched, confused, and tense. Now, Jesus doesn't say that we need to be a single-issue person. Instead, Jesus says that all our lives and all the other goals need to be subsumed under the goal of following Jesus and sharing the word of God, sharing the gospel. Norquist suggests, quote, that any single goal would have to be large enough to embrace our entire selves. For the believer, all goals are subsumed under the goal of following Christ and sharing the gospel. So let us not lose sight 
of the good news at the end of this beatitude. The promise for the pure in heart, the promise, the outcome is that indeed they will see God. At the end of this life, when we're ushered into the heavenly home, we will see God. And as the Apostle Paul informs the Corinthians in in 1 Corinthians 13, For now we see in a mirror dimly, then we will see face to face. And 1 John 3, what we, do not, what we do know is this, when he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him face to face. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. In the future, our faith will become sight as we stand in the presence of God Almighty. As Eugene Peterson puts it, when our life is in focus, we have an integrated purpose for our lives. And it is then that we will see the work of God in our world. Maurice Martin says, quote, but if our lives are cluttered by all the voices that clamor to be heard, we may not hear the still small voice of God not see the evidence that God exists and rewards those who seek God. The bad news most of us lack, the bad news is most of us lack that singular focus which allows us to see God, end of quote. So the pure in heart will see God not because they are some super spiritual people, but instead because they have simply Sim, uh, simplified their lives to live under one overarching purpose and goal. I would suggest to you this morning that Mother Teresa was a person who had one goal, who had one aim in mind, was a person who symbolized this beatitude. An example of a person who was poor in spirit and who was pure in heart, who had a singular goal and a mission for her life. Clarence Jordan emphasizes that those who have conflicting loyalties will become cross-eyed because they have to keep both eyes on two masters and their vision is so blurred that neither image is clear. But the eyes of the inwardly and the outwardly pure are single. That is focused upon one object and their sight is not impaired. And that is why Jesus said they will see God. David Buttrick, in his book, suggests, quote, In the Beatitude, see God is a metaphor. When Jewish thought speaks of seeing God, It means to know God, indeed to have a vision of God, end of quote. So those who experience God and see God with pure and unadulterated motives will experience God in an intimate relationship. 
And the psalmist had that kind of dramatic encounter with God in the temple when the psalmist says in Psalm 24, 5 and 6, they, those who ascend the hill of the Lord with clean hands and pure hearts, will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from the God of their, of their salvation. Such is the company of those who seek God, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. The pure in heart will look forward to the time when they will stand in the presence of God with all the believers in the presence of God in heaven. Many times when grieving with families who are grieving the loss of a loved one, I share from Revelation 22, verses 3 and 5. This promise is such a time. No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him. And they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads, and there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. Now the believers at Corinth were not caring for one another as they practiced the Lord's Supper, as they participated in the Lord's Supper. In fact, Paul castigates them and commands them that they need to wait for each other. Instead, the believers at Corinth, as they came together for the Lord's Supper, one went ahead and ate and participated, and the other one and for them, it was more like a full meal. And for, them, for the others, they went away hungry. And as part of the instructions for observing the Lord's Supper, Paul says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And therefore, as we share today in the Supper of the Lord, we look forward to the coming of the time of Jesus. We look forward to the time that we too will stand in the presence of Jesus, in the presence of God in heaven. We will come before the throne and stand in the presence of God. So the, this observance of participating in communion is looking back at the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's also looking forward to the time when Christ comes again or when we will be ushered in to the presence of God. We're also reminding each other that one day Christ will come back. Let us accept the gift of purity. Let us accept the gift of purity in heart that God gives to us. We don't earn it. Instead, it's a gift of God's grace. Instead of protesting this beatitude and throwing up our hands in despair and say we can never live this way, let us graciously accept this gift of the grace of God. And also, let us be one thing, one thing, both inwardly and outwardly, as we stand before God with all the multitudes 
stand before God in heaven. Amen. We'll share in a response song um, to the sermon, and then we will move ahead with communion.